fling as many in the sense that although they had begun with these great traditions of God, that they were feeling the pressure from the world around them, a pressure to stop doing what they had committed themselves to do. So because of the threat that existed that that might end or that somehow their faith might become shipwrecked, Paul, Paul encourages them to stand fast. To stand fast literally means to stand fastened. That is to moor yourself to a place. To hold your position. Not to give up what you have gained. So I'm thinking just as much as it was true for those early churches to hold the traditions that they had received from God, not to let go of it, to plant their feet solid on the ground, not to be moved. Today in a like fashion, all of you, all of you are charged to do the same thing, right? I mean, you were raised by people who thought it important for you to know the truth. They invested that in you. And for the most part, either they or agents of theirs have been there, this whole congregation, to support you as you just invested your life in those God-given traditions. I mean, we, we see you present with us. We, we see you active in worship services or participating in Bible classes. We, we see you everywhere. But here you are now at a place where you're about to begin a phase of your life, well, for all intents and purposes, you're going to be in charge. And the question today, it is generally for all of us, but specifically for you, all that's been invested in you from the past, all that tradition of God that's right there in your heart, are you going to hold on to that? Are you going to stand fastened to it, to stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught? That's going to be a question for you today, and I'm going to try to guide you through it, bring some things to your mind that are going to be important, but ultimately, as you leave here today, it's going to be you who decides that. For all of us here today, we all have a decision to make, right? Are we going to, are we going to hold fast? Are we going to stand fastened. I want to encourage you today to stand fast upon a tradition of love. Love. He referred to them as the beloved. In fact, he started the thing in verse 13 with the beloved. He ends it with the beloved. They are loved. There's no doubt about it. In our relationship with the Lord, you understand, in our relationship with one another, love flows. And we could just point out all kinds of circumstances that indicate that. Maybe we just generally say, I, you know, <laughs> I feel loved. I mean, I feel wrapped by brotherly love. I, I feel agape love in the care concern that people have for me. Yes, they've invested in my life what motivated it. I'm going to just assume it was their love for me. Okay, 
Before we really get into that part of it, I want to back up a minute because I want to think something combined with love oftentimes is the expression of love and that comes down to our service. And so when he said to stand fast in the traditions, he was talking about the things that have been given to you. You, you keep doing that, the doing aspect of it. Okay, the doing. There's a similar text, sounds similar to me in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, where he says to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's kind of the idea. Hold on to it and then act on it. Hey, I get it. I received the message from the Lord. His expectation is, as that's been implanted in me, that it's going to turn into action. Turns out that the truth of the matter is that the child of God, the one who's been transformed by the word of God, actually has been built for these kinds of things. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, to walk in them. That's the activity of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, he says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Whatever you do, he says, do it with love. That's what I'm getting to. I feel, I feel the responsibility to act, but what motivates me to act? It's got to be love. After Jesus had demonstrated his love for the disciples, he said, now, as you've seen it in me, this is now becoming the standard. You know, it's going to be, in our idea, it's going to be the tradition of the church to love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what's going to show it to the whole world, Jesus says. This is going to be our thing. This is what will set us apart, is our love for one another. When the Apostle Paul was trying to unravel some of the mess that existed in the Corinthian church, and by the way, maybe they weren't following through with the traditions that had been established in them. They became very selfish, only thought of themselves as they were going forward with the church, and that was corrupting the church and its fellowship. And so Paul reminds them, wait a minute, you may be involved in very spiritually minded acts. But those things have to be driven and motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 1 to 3. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that... Um, I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. But though I, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I could do all of these, quote unquote, spiritually minded things, the evidence of my Christianity. But he says, if love is not a component of that, then it's a big zero. 
if love isn't established in us from the mind of God, as it were, a tradition to follow, then all that we're doing to bring glory and honor to God is not motivated by it. it it's lost. Why is it, you think, in Luke chapter 7, actually the story is from verses 36 to 50, but why is it that that woman who was a sinner, why is it that she came to Jesus and she washed his feet with her tears, she dried them with her hair, she kissed his feet with her lips. She anointed his feet with a costly oil. Why does she do those things? Verse 47 says it's because she was forgiven of her sin, her great sin. And because of that, Jesus says she loved much. I ask, why do we love? Why do the things that we do? Woman, what of the world? Why, why, would you, why would you cry so profusely that you have enough volume of water from your tears to wash his feet? Why in the world would you take your hair and dry his feet off? Why would you bend down to kiss his feet of all things? Why in the world would you take costly oil in the midst of all of this outrageous behavior and then wash his feet with that? Why would you do that? It's, it's because of this. I was a terrible sinner. And Jesus forgave my sin. I act the way I do because I love him for it. I hope more than anything else that, you know, when you, when you graduate, when you're quote unquote free from your parents, when you think that you're in charge, I hope that what you decide to do is love powerfully. Have what Jesus planted in you, a tradition of love. I also hope that you will stand fast upon a tradition of purity. It's interesting, this particular group of people in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, which is introducing us to them, we find out that the Thessalonians in large part are a group of people who had been converted from idolatry. They had turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. <laughs> to serve the living and true God. When you serve the living and true God, that means that you are giving way to his instruction. We've talked about divine tradition here. We're talking about the instruction of God, what God is imparting to us. So as regards these Thessalonians, they were receiving the very things that we receive. 
instruction from God. And it isn't enough just to say, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, okay, yeah, I, I follow you. You know, I'm with you. I got you. Jesus even said, as regards disciples who might be inclined just to give lip service to him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, beginning verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yeah, you're, you're practicing some things and maybe they even look similar to what I've called you to do, but, but don't just call my name and, and then underneath it all, you're just kind of doing what you want to do. Yeah, I'll serve the Lord so long as it makes me happy or serves my purposes. No, Jesus says that, that is not what I'm looking for. In fact, that kind of mindset is a lawless mindset. It's either going too far or not going far enough in the instruction that I've given to you. It requires a change of mind and of heart, which is reflected in Romans 12 and verse 2, where Paul says not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, to become the example of, to set the standard for others of what is the perfect and acceptable will of God requires a mind change. Now, here we are. All of you having been influenced from infancy to have a mind for God, to serve God, and you've done it so beautifully. I mean, your names come up all the time. We talk about our hope for the future. Look at what these young people have done. The question is not now what you've done. It's, it's what are you going to do? Are you going to still carry that mind with you? Still going to let that drive your decisions? It comes down to a thing that actually he described here in this text. He said that they were sanctified by the spirit and had belief in the truth. Sanctified, sanctified. Sanctification, that's just big terms. What on earth? Being made clean is the idea. Being pure, being holy. I go back to the idea that these are people who at one time had been idol worshipers. And one of the big transitions for idol worshipers were that many idols, many false gods required all kinds of immoral behavior. They called it, you know, their, uh, for their idols, uh, devotion to that God. And so many of those who were devotees were involved in all kinds of morally questionable behavior, but accepted in the guise of their religion. It was okay because they were offering it to their God. And even right here in this letter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, Paul calls that out. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
Paul says, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to lay it out for you. We all know how they behaved. Immoral behavior. They thought that was okay. He says, I'm calling us out on that. Here's the will of God that you be holy and be holy with your body. There are going to be all kinds of temptations as you go to college. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to remember where you came from? I have a friend who every time we go on a trip somewhere or he hears of a mission thing or even, even, I guess it's kind of his greeting for a birthday. Every time he thinks about your future action, he always ends his statement this way. He says, remember who you are. Well, who am I? Uh, here's what you are. You, you are a representative of your family. So whatever it is that you choose to do on your own, they won't be there but they're thinking as you are away, uh, we trained them, you know, we, we taught them right from wrong. Uh, we're expecting they're going to make good choices. So when you go out there, whatever you do, that, that reflects on the instruction that your parents gave you. And then here's the thing, you know, this congregation of people, we've seen you grow up and we do the same thing. We, we don't see you anymore. Maybe you've gone off to college somewhere or you've begun work in another place or we don't see you every day, but we still think. Now, we had a lot invested in so-and-so. Wonder how they're doing. And what we want to hear is a great report how that you have gone from where you are now soaring to greater heights. You are representing this congregation wherever you go. But, but whether you think about your parents or others who have influenced you up to this point or you think about us in this congregation, here's the thing. The, the Lord's going with you no matter where it is that you go. And so you're representing him. You've taken on the name of Jesus. And now as you go forth with that name, a lot of the world's only going to know Jesus by what they see in you. So the choices that you make, I, I know your speech and all that's important, but what you do with this body right here, the things you involve yourself with, with other people, that's going to reflect heavily upon how you were raised and about the people who are trusting you as they send you on. God has called us to a tradition of purity of holiness in his sight. And we also have to stand fast upon a tradition of true things. Truth, the word, however you want to put that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 reminds us that once that word's been planted in here, it does some things to us. Now, whether we're just reading it straight out of the book or whether all those little memory verses you learned when you were little kids growing up, they start popping up in your mind. That word of God will work on you from the inside. Hebrews 4 verse 12, word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped, furnished for every good work. The Word of God, when it penetrates our heart, our soul, our mind, it makes a difference with us. It is that message that was confirmed and was delivered to us. It was given account of by those who witnessed its fulfillment in the life of Jesus. And Jesus. Well, we often think about the prophets and what they had to say. We put a lot of stock in their truths. But God wanted us to focus on, well, on Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than, than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. God has spoken through his son. Now today, maybe worse than ever, you've been establishing the traditions of God, the truths of God. You hear it constantly in your Bible classes, proclaimed from a pulpit, you hear it in devotionals. You sing it in the songs, the truths about God. But maybe you'll find yourself apart from some of this for a time. What kind of decisions will you make? I, I just know today's world's a lot different in terms of communication, accessibility of different ideas, many of which are contrary to God's traditions. There'll be people who claim biblical truth, but a closer examination of what they have to say doesn't really measure up to what the scriptures teach. It reminds me of kind of the, it's almost like a Trojan horse situation with the Jews themselves. You, you would assume since they were Jews that they were following the truth. But Paul says in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You see what happened there? There were some people who said, uh, we follow God. You know, we, we serve him. We seek after his righteousness. Paul says, not so. Not true. What they're doing is not meeting the standard, not meeting the tradition of God. We have to be careful with those who just present a good idea, but fall short in its examination of scripture, which behooves us to know well enough the scripture to make that decision, whether it's true or not. Oh, I know, packaging today, slick, right? 
You get drawn into very slick operation of a worship service or just the right haircut or the right cut of clothes. Something's very visually impressive. But too many are drawn away by the visual, sensory leading away. That's what happened to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and following, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preaching any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. I think that's interesting. It's not just someone come along, even an angel from heaven. You know, as slick and as beautiful and as impressive as that image may be, Paul says, stop and examine it. Is it the gospel of the Bible? If it isn't the gospel of the Bible, it doesn't matter how it looks visually. It doesn't matter how it feels internally, how it makes my foot tap. That is not the measure of its godliness. That is not the measure of whether or not it satisfies the tradition of God. So what I would say to you, what I would say to all of us, is that we must stand fast. We must stand fastened. We must hold our ground at least Certainly moving forward in growth, but never going backward into something that is less than God's tradition. In fact, so strongly did Paul assert those truths that in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, he said to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prepare yourself for what is to come. So as you go forth out of this place and you begin your own walk, make sure that you go forth with that armor firmly attached and stand fast. Philippians 4 verse 1. Oh, stand fast, my dearly beloved. That's not just for graduates today, right? This is symbolically a beginning. It's the end of what had been in preparation for what they're now to begin. That could be you too. 
Today could be your beginning place too. Maybe, maybe what's behind you is a mess. Today could be a fresh start for you. You could move on from what's behind you, the baggage of your past. And you could do like they're doing. Look at a clean slate, a bright future, lots of decisions to be made, but with the commitment that today I'm going to make them standing for something. If you faltered in the past, today's a day for renewal. We feel it, don't we? We're excited for them, but why not get on the coattails of that? Reaffirm yourself that you're going to stand fast too. Does anybody need to respond today? Now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing? When we walk with the
Prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper this morning. We'll be singing How Deep the Father's Love.
If you don't have one of the emblems, please raise your hand and the ushers will provide one for you. I want to read from John chapter 6, verses 53, 53 through 57. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this bread that represents the body that was shed on the cross. And thank you for the Son of Man who chose to do this wonderful thing for us, even though we didn't deserve it, and we have no way of repaying him for it, but to be true to him, Lord. Thank you for all that you give us, and thank you for Jesus especially. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that was shed on the cross. Thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you especially again for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And may we take this opportunity to continue to do his will, Lord, and to continue to walk in the light that is him, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us. Is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Commanded to give back on the first day of week a portion of what is ours. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, the many blessings you've blessed us with in our lives. We thank you that we are able to give back something to you because of all that you've given us. And as as we do so, that we remember the reason and to do it in a manner that's pleasing unto thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. I'd like to join with Brother Jim in welcoming each and every one of you to our Sunday morning services. If you're visiting with us, it's our sincere hope that you'll be able to attend with us at your next uh, opportunity. That being said, our next service is 5 p.m. this evening. We have 380 in services this morning. I have a card I'd like to read. It says, Gratitude is Essential. Dear church family, thank you so much for the calls, texts, visits, food deliveries, gifts, prayers, and donations to the college ministry in memory of dad. All these acts of kindness mean so much to our family as we grieve the loss of my father. We love and appreciate you all. In Christian love, Bo Gross and family. If I can direct your attention to the order of worship bulletin. On the inside, you're going to find a very extensive sick list. Please remember those in your daily prayers. Also on the back, there's many notes. I'm just going to mention a few of them. Uh, all 7th through 12th youth and parents, along with anyone else who would like to support future youth activities, you're invited and encouraged to attend a fellowship planning session tonight in the Annex. Chicken strips will be provided, but we're asking for those who are attending to bring drinks, sides, and desserts, and there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Visitation team members, as a reminder, your May assignments are on the visitor center in the foyer if you have not picked those up. And the Tims will be moving back next Sunday. Uh, if you can help, 1 p.m. at 901 West Church Street. And as a reminder, our Super Saturday is coming up fast, June the 10th. This will be from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, I will dismiss us in prayer, but once we do, uh, we will honor our seniors after the prayer. So if you would, please remain seated. If you'll bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that we have been blessed to have the opportunity to attend worship this morning. Father, we pray that our worship was acceptable to you. Father, we pray for not only these seniors, but each and every one of us as we go out into life, that we understand whose we are and where we're headed. Father, we pray that you will be with those who are mentioned as sick, Father, especially those who have lost loved ones, Father, the Parker family, the Gross family. Father, we ask you that you will be with each and every one of us as we go through our later walks of life. We ask you that you guide, guard, and direct us. In Christ's name, amen. As usual, we always present the seniors with a Bible. Um, it's got their, we got their name in, engraved, is that what you say? Whatever, their name's on it. It's printed on there. And I also got uh, Allison Gross to write 
hit something in it for them as well. So um, I thought it would be fitting for our two youth deacons to be up here with me uh, as we do this. So they're going to help me present them uh, with their Bibles. Yeah, we are very honored to uh, be able to celebrate, and uh, I'm honored to be able to call out their names. And as Ken said, if we were to call out all their accomplishments, we would be here a long time. So we're just going to call their name out and, uh, and let us present them with the Bible. So we will start with Gibson Foster. Next is Will Grissom. Braden Hanna. Sandra Holloway. Preston Owings. Arlena Rogers. Levi Sweeney. Last but not least, Kaylee Wilcutt. What a great looking group of seniors. Would you please give them a round of applause? Now, before Jordan leads them out, I'm going to ask Jim Estes to come up here. Uh, we have one more recognition that we would like to do uh, this morning. And then um, I'll give a few more instructions when we're done. We know this is a milestone day for our seniors, but it's also a milestone day for Jordan Coates. On behalf of the eldership, we Thank Jordan for his many years of service as our youth minister. We know uh, many times this has been at his own personal sacrifice, but we thank you for what you've done for our youth to help build traditions of love and purity and truth into their lives. We don't really see this as an end of your service. This is just a a, tra a transition for you and we pray for your service in your next assignment for the Lord. We love you. Let's give Jordan a hand. Gibson, I think Gibson has something to say too. 
On behalf of all the seniors and our youth group, I would like to say a few quick words about Jordan. I know this day is supposed to be special for us seniors, and it is. But, Jordan, we also want to make this day special for you by simply making sure you know how much we appreciate you and love you. You have been a fixture in this congregation for many years now. And for us seniors, you have been a rock for us since we've entered seventh grade. We thank you for making an impact. When I practice this speech, just didn't happen. Sorry. <laughs> We thank you for making an impact on our lives and on the lives of the youth of this congregation. Thanks for every Bible class, every Devo, for every encouraging word, every challenging word, every trip you organized, every camp you supported, every conversation, every event one of us had that you took the time out of your day to, to attend. This list could go on and on. But we, want to thank, but we want to thank you for every single sacrifice you have ever made for us. Words cannot express and will not be able to express what you mean to us. So we hope you will accept our thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We love you, Jordan. hard to stand up here and, and let that happen, but um, we, we will now, Jordan will escort these seniors ahead of you down to the annex, and uh, we hope all of you will go down there and greet them, and then also greet Jordan, um, and Jordan, just one more thing. Um, we know you're not leaving us, and, as, and Jim said it great. We just know you're transitioning to a new service for the Lord, and and we're just so thankful for you, okay? Lead them out. Thank you all for as a congregation for supporting these young people. You are dismissed.